Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble, I bumble like a crack of Brian Gumbo. Standing on the ground, flat feet first. Doing worms and joints, and I'm doing it on my toes. Welcome to the Rumble. We are back and better than ever, helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. We don't want you sucker punch, so we're here each and every week helping you keep your guard up. I am Jeremy Lavelle with Remedy Claims Consulting at Claims Coach on Instagram and TikTok, and they just call me the mouth of the South. And alongside of me is the catastrophe queen and the claims dame, Miss Jessica Odell, and the whimsically well-adjusted and the wonderfully well-rounded, the one, the only baby cakes, Miss Donna Lavelle. Well, how's everybody doing today? Now that we know baby cakes is self-confessed, well-rounded. Yeah. The cutie with the booty. Hi. There we go. <laughs> um, man, it is. Uh, it is. Uh, by the time you're going to hear this, we will have gone and come back from RoofCon, but the preparations of getting there are crazy. You know. Um, I would like to let everybody know that I was on an inspection yesterday, uh, or no Saturday and I got bit by a dog got got bit by a dog on the foot, an English bulldog, no less. I don't like English bulldogs. Well, they evidently don't like me. (laughs) That's for sure. So do we have any fun facts with baby cakes? We do. Fun facts with baby cakes is brought to you by Inc. The best way to get paid after an insurance claim, Inc. Save time, get paid. <laughs> awesome. Was that good? That was great. Yeah, there we go. Okay, um, let's see. Thanks to the boys over there at Inc. Did you guys know that, that there's a thing called a beefalo? Oh, a beefalo? Uh, is, it like a, is it anything like a turducken? No. No? Okay. It's a, it's a cow and a, a bison hybrid. So yeah, it'd be kind of like a tur. What do you call it? A turducken, turkey duck. Turducken. That's actually a. That's actually a the dish. The cow's not inside the bison. Well, it depends on. I guess the bison would well, be inside the cow. Well, that's how they made it. I guess. <laughs> Is it a bull and a female bison, or can you go either way? I have no idea, but you can buy its meat in twenty-one states. You can buy its meat in twenty-one. Is Texas or Kansas or? I don't know. You didn't get the 21 states? No. Um, check back for a full list of states where you can get a beefalo. Yes. Probably get a beefalo I do like I do like buffalo. I mean if you've ever gone to one of those I've had yeah. Chili. Yeah, I, I really like buffalo. It's got a it's got a really good flavor. I like it a lot. I remember back when I was a kid they were actually an endangered species. Buffalo. Now they're attacking people from California. They're attacking people from California. <laughs> Interestingly enough, here's a fun here's a fun little fact if I can add to it that are you gonna do the fun fact about buffaloes and storms? Because if you are, huh? You can go ahead and do it. Are you gonna do it? You can. I forgot what it was. Okay, so when a storm is coming, cows will run away from the storm. They'll try to outrun the storm, but a buffalo runs into the storm. Because yeah, it figures the quickest way to get it to get get through it is to run into it and get on the other side of it as quick as possible is that did they tell you that the cow or the buffalo <laughs> how do you know that well it was an extensive interview process in you know what i mean and four, out of, four out of five buffalo agree okay that that's what they do then it must be true we're just waiting for the fifth one to cave <laughs> okay so the terminator script was sold for one dollar the Terminator script was sold for one dollar. It's like that True Romance script that Quentin Tarantino did, but the Terminator script was sold for one dollar. James Cameron sold it in order to make his big break. Awesome. And as we all know, James Cameron was uh, he did Titanic and what's the other one? Avatar. He also did Terminator Two, which basically changed the world of special effects. Believe it or not, mm-hmm. James Cameron doesn't do what James Cameron does for James Cameron. James Cameron does what James Cameron does because he is James Cameron. That's kind of like Chuck Norris. I was waiting for that punchline like Norris. Yeah. You know that uh, that you know Superman wears Chuck Norris pajamas to bed, right? What? How do you know that? (laughs) (laughs) 
Where's the punchline? That's the punchline. <laughs> Superman wears Chuck Norris pajamas to right, bed. Right, not the other way around. Oh. <laughs> okay. I don't know what I was thinking. Yeah, n- neither does anybody else. <laughs> Did you know that Captain Crunch's full name is Horatio Magellan Crunch? I bet that was a bitch in kindergarten. Yeah. And his ship was called the SS Guppy. His ship was... I didn't realize he even had a ship. Yeah, that's why he's a captain. Well, I understand <laughs> his rank is a captain. Okay. Well, he has... You have to have a ship to be a captain. No, you don't. You would be a captain in the military. No. You can be a captain in the military. Oh, well, he has a ship. <laughs> okay. He's the real deal. If he was going to be a skipper, stripes, a too. skipper would actually be somebody that 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 is in charge of a a, a ship or a baseball team. Oh, or a baseball well, that's, team. There you go. That's that's the colloquial term for a manager of, of a baseball team. And I would like to point out that the Texas Rangers are your World Series champions of 2023. Big shout out to the Rangers there. Way to go, guys. Way to bring it home. Now you know, and knowing is half the bullshit. Knowing is half the bullshit. Thank you so much, Baby Cakes, for Fun Facts by Baby Cakes, brought to you by Inc. Guys, we have got a really cool show today. We're going to be talking all things strategy and how we figure out what to do with the claim once it comes in. I'm going to remind you that this comes to you in three separate rounds. When you hear this sound, you know that the round has begun. And when you hear this sound, you know that the round is over. Guys, I want to remind you that Jessa and I are merely commentate on it. It is you that is in the rumble, and we're hoping that we're helping you um, get through all of this kind of all of this stuff that we deal with and I know it can be really confusing when claims come in once you've got a claim so it's really um, I've got a claim so now what do I do with it how do I know what to do with it and we're going to get into that in three separate rounds guys I'm looking forward to round number one because it starts right after this Public adjusters, listen up. It's Jeremy Lavelle, owner of Remedy Claims Consulting, host of the Rumble, and most importantly, your claims coach. Public adjuster training is one of the hardest things to find. Sure, you can take some online seminars, you can show up to conferences, but none of them tailor training just for you until now. Whether you need to learn how to estimate, scope, negotiate, or prospect, I can help you drill down on the skills you want to develop. Maybe you're just starting out and you need to learn the claims process from a to Z, or you're just wanting help on strategy on a specific claim. I can help you find the traction you were looking for and learn how to truly control the narrative in the ever-changing world of claims. You can reach out to me directly at 888-596-8772, or you can find me on the web at remedyclaims.com and just click get started. That's 888-596-8772 or remedyclaims.com and click get started. You can even shoot me an email at Jeremy at RemedyClaims.com. That's J-E-R-O-M-Y at RemedyClaims.com. It's time to move your career to the next level. Round one, supplementation. I literally almost forgot to ring the bell. Like I knew what the round was. I always forget the round and, and, and I almost, golly, man, I just can't get it right. I'm, I'm struggling supplementation. So um, I'm going to kind of give you guys a window into like how I address claims and um, at remedy claims. Basically we always kind of say we handle claims based on its merit. Okay, so when you look at a claim, you're going to do, I'm going to do one of four things. I'm going to look at it and go, there's nothing I can do. Um, this claim has been addressed, coverage is open, and I may just want to supplement it, which is what we're going to be talking about in round one. Or I may want to fully represent the claim and sign them as a client and act as a PA on a claim. And there is an outside chance that kind of based on what I'm looking at, I may just push that claim straight into appraisal. And it just sort of depends on what's going on. And we're going to be talking about the differences and kind of the nuances so that you can tell which one is which. But for this round, we're going to be talking about supplementation. But first, Jess, is that kind of the thing that you do? You sort of look at it and figure out the best way to go. I know we were kind of talking off air about it a little bit, but that's kind of how I handle things. Yeah, it's kind of like a triage. Um, I'm very curious, interested in your um, supplementation part um, because up until now, anytime that I have worked claims on my own and not necessarily with a, a firm, a PA firm, 
But anytime I've worked a claim on my own, I kind of triaged into whether it's a PA file or more of a just go straight to appraisal file. Um, so I'm actually very interested in what you mean by supplementation. This ought to be really good. Uh, but yes, I absolutely, okay. I'm not one of those people that just signs up as a PA. And although there's, there's benefit to it, sure, you know, documenting it from day one as if there's just potential to go to legal so that the file is documented the entire process, the entire way. But I think if you're, if you handle yourself professionally enough, even during the appraisal process, that documentation can still, if bad faith is present, can still be used if it needed to go to legal. So either way, I'm setting, I'm working files and documenting everything to a T, crossing the T's, dotting the I's, all that good stuff. What do you mean by supplementation? Well, what do I mean by, I, you know, that's a, that's a really good question. And I think a lot of that comes out of when we first started um, Remedy Claims as a PA firm, I think supplementation was a, su a service that we offered. One, I was really comfortable okay. with it because that's how I got into it. So whether you're a contractor or you're an estimate writer or you're a, um, you know, or you're a PA, sometimes we're looking at when we want to move into our, when we want to involve anything. Because I think it's interesting to know that generally once you've picked a lane, you've got to pretty much stay in that lane. You can't jump. Like, for example, if you're the, the PA, being the appraiser on it in most states is not something that you can do. You can't, you have to assign it to an unbiased party. And as a public adjuster, you would absolutely be a biased party. Again, check your policy to make sure. But on occasion, now it's not so common now where supplementation is something that I can push it into. But let me give you an example. Let's say we had a storm and the carrier came out and they agreed that the full roof needed to be replaced. Okay. And we're not really arguing about the full roof needing to be replaced and possibly, you know, we had some siding damage and they're replacing the siding. But most of the time, what you see is while you may have had a very conscientious ad adjuster that's out there, they didn't, they missed some very crucial line items. Right. You know, they may right. have missed the flashing, you know, um, they may have missed, you know, the and we've got clear documentation for it. There's clearly a desire to extend coverage for the loss. They're not really arguing that there's a loss. There's good documentation. I also know that a lot of carriers just didn't want to um, replace flashing because they felt like it could be or should be reused. And I'm not getting into the arguments and the finer points of what we would supplement but most of the time you can come in and say, hey, um, I believe because the coverage is available, there's no real coverage dispute. There's no real scope dispute. There's just some missing line items. And so when we're looking at those missing line items, that is a file that is primed to just be supplemented. So if you're a public adjuster, one of the things that you can counsel your contractors or your homeowners is go, look, we just need to submit a supplement and it's probably going to be fine. You know, and so I am careful about entering that arena much anymore because I like to maintain a level of autonomy and detachment until they really need a public adjuster or an appraiser. You know what I mean? So I will just say, hey, let's get together, you know, the invoices and the items that you want to do and let's submit that to a carrier. And I don't even think I think one of the cool things about a supplement is there's so much that you don't really need. You need a couple of photos. And you just need, you know, an invoice and an estimated cost on it so it can come on, you know, like a QuickBooks, you know, bid form. It doesn't even have to be put into Xactimate, you know, and so supplementations are very easy, whereas I would write, you know, much more intricate supplements back when I was just roofs are kind of covered differently this day, you know, th mm -hmm. these days, because at one point in time, they would always tell you that the ridge and the waste uh, the ridge in the starter was all was already included mm -hmm. in the waste. They would never write for ridge and starter. And they would just say, hey, no, that's part of the waste. And that's not exactly true. Right. And especially as shingle manufacturers decided that there is a specific product that they use that is not, it's not because ridge shingles often were cut out of three tab shingles. You know what I mean? And they would use the waste to, to create, uh, to create the, um, 
they would use the they would use the the cut waste basically to create the ridge shingles because when they were using only like two-thirds of the shingle they would save that cut waste as ridge shingles when they needed it and so it was kind of there but that's really not how roofs are put on anymore pretty much with the with the um they're moving away from, you know, they're moving away from the 25 year shingle pretty much altogether because most of what you see roofers install these days are 30 year shingles. I'm not saying that there's not a use for a 25 year shingle. You certainly see it down in the coastal areas mm-hmm. like in um, like in Florida and Louisiana. You'll see, you know, and even Mississippi and Alabama, they're still putting a lot of three tab shingles up there. And you also see three tabs on lower slope roofs, too, because the drainage with a laminate shingle on something that's below like a 312 or whatever is, is gets, gets a little sticky. So I'm not saying it's completely out of the ordinary. It's not completely gone, but most of the time these guys are installing and even giving free upgrades for that 30 year shingle. So that's when I use a supplement, you know what I mean? And so I would, I, you know, and Jess, if you think about a water loss, because you are the water queen, I'm telling you what guys, if you've got a question about a water loss, you need to hit Jess up on Facebook. I'm I'm not going to give you her phone number, but yeah, uh, hit Jess up on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> she would uh she would probably she would probably not take your call because because it gets just a little bit. Um, you're too busy calling her. Well, yeah, I, I mean, no, look, my calls are more important. I, you know, I do not know what it is about water losses. I don't. I can't take credit. I've just gone to some really good schools. I have friends in the mitigation industry. Now I'm actually, you know, COO to a construction company, mitigation company. It is just something about water losses. It is water travels in the craziest patterns. It is not, it doesn't just stop where you think it stops. You ha- really have to be investigative. You almost have to be a sociopath. I think I'm fit for the job. <laughs> so it, it, and, and somehow by the grace of God, I applied to be on the uh, census board for the rewrite of the S500. So there is a PA voice yeah. on that board as, as the S500, which is the water restoration technician manual. Right. That's the manual that governs more or less water losses and how they're handled. Uh, That has been a very eye opening experience. I definitely recommend that anybody out there to really, you know, take yourself into the next level of professional, get outside your comfort zone, get involved in something like that. Um, The professionals that I've just met through that alone has just really elevated uh, where I was and, and it's not, I can't take credit for any of it. They're, they're just amazing people out there and you just got to get into the same, you got to be where they're at, you know, and find them. And, and there are some very, very cerebral people. I say all that to say, I don't know what it is. It, it became an obsession, a niche of, of a thing. If I don't know the answer and there's still a good chance I don't know the answer, I will find it because it is a love. I don't know what it is. Well, I mean, and some common items like within water losses, and you correct me if I'm wrong, one of the things, the fact that there is this actual standard that is not building code, because when we're, do- when we're talking about exterior losses, everybody jumps to the IRC, you yeah. know, and whatever authority that we're under. But the, the S500 within the IICRC is the most widely accepted standard. Yes. Do you know what I mean? For how these, you know, how the water is uh, mitigated and and remediated from it and how we, and and it's also pretty clear on how it's to be documented. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's one of the things that I really like about water losses is that there is this predetermined standard that exists on how they get handled. You know what I mean? And so these water losses, especially your smaller isolated incident, um, and what I mean by that is like the water heater that happens to be in the garage that leaks into the master closet kind of thing. You know what I mean? Um, writing a good solid claim or a good solid estimate without representation that you're fairly certain is just going to be extended. I mean, it's not there's not a lot of question here. Water came into the closet. The carpet's messed up. You know what I mean? And uh, 
you know, and so we're going to replace that carpet or we're going to clean that carpet kind of depending on what we're looking at here. You know what I mean? Um, if the bottom of that pan has been discovered to be rusted out and the water's got rust in it at that point in time, that changes the category of water, what it flows through, because I have seen water heaters in outside closets, depending on what region of the country you're in. And it comes from an exterior place. And what happens to the category of water when it comes from outside the house? To inside the house. What happens to the category of water, Jess? It automatically jumps up to a three. It automatically jumps up to a three. And by and large. It's in the manual. We don't make it up. It's in the manual. Yeah. Yeah. And so that is, it gets classified as a category three water loss. And how that, uh, you know, and then what you do with the things that that water touched becomes the standard so i it's not me that wants to replace the carpet or the tile or whatever it's the standard that dictates it and so when you have these water losses sometimes it's just about asserting the standard asserting the standard because if there's coverage it's asserting the standard and saying this is what it needs to be and so a a supplement is a reasonable thing to send in based on the standard alone because all of these decisions have been made all of these standards have been agreed upon and this is what we're going to do and i i would like to point out that when it comes to the iicrc s500 and i the director at one point in time made this point and i thought this was great these are the minimum Mm -hmm. standards these are the this is what at the very least this should be done that doesn't mean that in some cases that you're going to have to do more but as we are classifying water losses interior water losses it's at least going to be this but depending on the loss it could be more you may have to do more in certain situations yep but and i think maybe, maybe I, you that's, know, that's why i have the, such an affinity for it too is you know, when you come from a military background, yes, you get training. Yes, you become, you know, experienced over time. But ha- always having a reference to go back to and say, look, I made my decision. I based my analysis on a manual that was put together by a lot of people that have extensively more experience than I have. <laughs> it, it just, it, it has, there's, I guess, an element of trust that you have that to fall back on versus some of the other losses you know, or, or fire losses they're i think they they're now coming out with a fire one um an s whatever manual and i'm a commercial. very interested in that and, and they're coming I'm out with a commercial water loss one too because they recognize the s500 is perfect for average residential it doesn't address the types of materials and things and and situations you would find in, in some of the larger commercial settings so they are expanding their manuals so and, and a fire one is, is coming out I'm I'm personally thankful that we have them. Amen. Do you know what I mean? Because, and do you remember if you go back and you listen to some of our other uh, some of our other other shows? Do you remember we talked about third party unbiased documentation? Right. Do you remember when I talked about that? This is documentation that existed prior to the loss. How this gets handled, classified, or looked at was determined prior to this loss even occurring because we've seen this so much we already know how it's supposed to be handled so the iicrc s500 when it comes to water losses are exactly what it should be so um anyway i what i was saying is is that that is that is great third-party unbiased documentation i lost my train of thought there was something very specific that i wanted to say to kind of wrap up that round but uh, I'm going to go ahead and do that. Um, the uh, and and that's kind of that's that's one of the things that I do really like about water losses is that you know in a lot of cases, you know um, you're going to run into that. All we need to do is just basically turn in turn in an estimate. You know, um, I know that you have to go against. Is it Code Blue? Is that the one that's doing audits for for? Um, for carriers now i can't remember the name of the company but they hire a third-party company to basically audit um mitigation estimates and i I think it's really funny because i want to let every one of y'all know that anything that that third-party person does 
that is not an actual representative of the claim, that is not a signed representative of the claim, which would be somebody that would determine causation, coverage, and payment, okay? That individual has really no place in the claim, number one. Number two, they have no authority over the claim. And number three, anything they say would and be considered extra contractual. Now, I'm not going to take away their expertise on it, but that's the thing is that they are not the hard and fast answer on it. And the same goes for engineers. engineers and just the same re- thing. It's the same thing with engineers. Most of these times, these guys are all they're giving you is their opinion. And uh, so remember that when we when you're looking at these I- items, not everything needs, you know, both barrels, sometimes just the simple Hey, this is our evaluation of the loss. And remember, it's our job to determine what we're claiming and how much that loss is worth. So sometimes supplementation is a very key tool, and it's often the first step before we make decisions on the other two. So that'll be the end of round one on supplementation. Guys, remember to drop your questions or any comments that you may have uh, in uh, down below. And uh, we look forward to hearing it. And we're going to get into the next round right after this. One of the most difficult claims you can work is a contents claim. It requires extreme detail and significant documentation. Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services is the expert you need on your side. She will handle on-site evaluation, inventory, photo documentation, pricing, and overall contents claim organization. She will work with your team beginning to end so you can focus on the rest of the claim. Do your client a favor and call Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services. You can reach her at 515-783-1434. That's 515-783-1434 or find her on the web at monarchclaimservices.com. Round two, representation. I would always call this, oh, hang on. Round two, representation. <laughs> I can't do anything right today. Not at all. It's like you're having a My case gosh. of the Mondays or something. Uh, <laughs> that's it. I'm going to start throwing things and screaming and quitting. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I quit this job about three times a day. Uh, no, seriously. Uh, representation. Um you know, I again within my meritocracy, I have three different things, three different ways that I classify or triage a claim. Am I going to supplement it? Am I going to PA it? Or am I going to appraise it? And what we're going to talk about here is the representation or the public adjusting of a claim. Um, I want to be clear you're adjusting a claim. Yep. You know what I mean? And so if it requires an adjustment, and I have you ever, Jess, just kind of speak to me, have you ever gotten an estimate from a carrier or a homeowner calls you up or a contractor calls you up and they hand you the estimate or the, or the scope from the carrier. And you're like wondering, did they even look at this, this, the same loss that we're looking at? Because it appears that the individual has no clue either how to use Xactimator symbility. They have no organization to their file. They're just completely lost. And you basically got to take that scope and pitch it in the trash and, estimate it like nobody's looked at it you've got to assess it and look at even though you kind of should do that all the time i do often use the carrier scope just kind of as a canary in the coal mine if you yeah. will to kind of figure out where they're at but i've looked at some estimates like i have no idea what you're looking at and i had one of those recently so I. I actually had one of those very recently so same, same it was a water loss and i mean they had damage all they ripped up the whole master bedroom floor and everything all new flooring on there i was like the the master bedroom is not even near the source of the water leak. What are you doing? And <laughs> are we even in the same right. house? <laughs> well, or or my favorite is is sometimes yeah. I well, there's that, and then and then their complete lack of knowledge, especially on. I'm I'm going to stick with the water loss theme here because I think that a lot of times the carrier adjuster thinks that there is some discretion when classifying water. Mm-hmm. Do you know what yep. I mean? There's some, and a lot of times these mitigation companies come in and they do a really good job of cleaning it up and it doesn't look damaged or for lack of a better word, I think what I'd like to say is contaminated. I think that's really the word that I'm looking at is that some of the building materials that we're looking at, the tile, the bathtub, the, you know, I, you know, I've had one guy that said, well, <laughs> sewage water <laughs> touched my the outside of my toilet and i'm like look buddy 
I understand that you want everything replaced and the idea of everything new, but do you understand what we put in the toilet like every day? And the thought that it can't be cleaned is just a ridiculous thought altogether, you know? Um, So those are items. There's certain items that I do believe that even in a category three situation can be cleaned, but most commonly anything that's porous, any, any sort of porous, Anything that you can't get in there and clean, grout, tile, especially travertine tile, that stuff's got to go. It's just got to go. And and there's a standard there that supports it, right? And sometimes you're looking at this and they have no idea and they're not extending coverage for it and they're not and they just don't even notice that it's damaged. I've seen tile go completely unaddressed on a water loss, Jess. Completely unaddressed. And and the interesting thing is, is you can't take it to appraisal. If it's unaddressed and it's not been and it's not been brought into coverage, you can't take it to appraisal. So that is a lot of things. And I'll get into this more in round three before we can take something to appraisal. If you don't have it in coverage and it's not been adjusted properly, it needs an adjuster, not an appraiser. And so if you're looking at a claim that needs an adjuster, then you're going to have to do a full representation, not a supplementer, not an appraiser. This claim needs to be adjusted. And that's the thing. And then that is going to basically inform your strategy, so to speak. Jess, I'm 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 gonna let you talk now because I'm just running off at the head and then she's kind of looking at me like, boy, you're just killing no, it. Yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, when you're on it, man, you're just it, I mean, it fires me up. So <laughs> I'm not gonna interrupt that vibe. <laughs> no, I yeah, I think especially when it comes to like I understand, and we'll I guess we'll get more into it with appraisal. I understand that there is a a way that PAs are handling certain claims out there, especially when it comes to big blue. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I could say the name cause I'm not bashing them. I'm just saying. No, it's just a matter of yeah, fact. So, yeah. You're no, not, Allstate. Yeah. Okay. So all state right now. Carriers provide their own strategy. Yeah. Sometimes we strategize against carriers, you know, not, or not against or with carriers based on how we know their guidelines are and how they behave. That's absolutely I true. I have just heard it from so many PAs across so many different States when it comes to all state that it just, it's just, it, it's not a bashing. It just seems like this is the tactic or technique. And that is all state likes to try to handle their claims through the appraisal process. It just seems like every single, no matter what immediate first response is, we're not moving. We're not budging. You know, you can invoke appraisal if you want. I actually seen that in emails. You can feel free to invoke appraisal if you'd like, and, but it's, it's so automatic, so automatic. And, but where I struggle with that is, okay, got it. If, if it's just a dispute over cost, hundred percent, I think you should, you should do triage your claim, perhaps go to appraisal. It's better. However, if they've only opened coverage on a few soft metals and some gutters and maybe one window screen from a hailstorm, but zero shingles, zero is the roof surface appraisable. Is it, is it kind of a, a breach of contract in, in and of itself in that they've purposefully ignored a totally beat up roof? I mean, we're talking windblown shingles are missing two, three inch hail struck the, the, the surface it's um these asphalt singles so you've got the the matting broken you've got the this dislodged you know um granules everything it's it's textbook roof replacement and they're just right they're saying no the roof looks like it's in good condition you have got to be kidding me what photo report are you looking at because you're not looking at the 180 page one that we got you got sent in or the 78 page one whatever Right. What, you know, and, and because the environment with appraisal is changing so much, you know, you've got State Farm took it from a a paragraph to three pages. So as a PA, when you're looking at triaging this, do I take this as a PA or does this need to be more of an appraisal? I mean, it, it seems to be getting a little harder to delineate which, which path is better. Um, Cause I also feel like at some point, some of these, some of the carriers, especially where it's not, you know, it's not binding in certain states. Some of the carriers are just going to say, no, I don't want to pay the award. Well, then what? 
Well, I'm yeah, I, I've run into that and I'm happy to get into that at more into the appraisal round and kind of the things that you're running into when you get ready to appraise it. Um, and that's why, you know, when you don't have when you don't have coverage opened on a shingle. Now, I am of the opinion. OK, so this is my own opinion. I don't really have anything to back it up other than a decade, more than a decade of experience for whatever that is or isn't worth to you. I mean, you've got people that have been in the industry that we have access to, whether it's Tony Rugas, you know, of Level the Playing Field that I'm pretty sure I think he worked Noah's flood claim. Um, You know, I you've got all of these different people that are that are out there. So whether or not my decade of experience carries any weight with you, I would this is what I would say is that when these soft metals are damaged, there is no way to address these soft metals without involving the shingle. And let me be clear about this. I think it is very difficult to repair anything that involves shingles and at and achieve indemnity in any kind of way okay and so while indemnity may not necessarily be 100% the goal of the carrier at the time that they sold the policy because i have heard several attorneys lately indemnity is not a word in there pre-loss condition is not a phrase that's in there that's not necessarily what they owe for you have to look at the contract to see what they owe for and they reserve the right to repair or replace one of the things that i think that the insurance policy should do or should not do is leave you in a worse position than you were prior to the loss after that they've 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 they performed their repairs and i find that a lot of roof repairs can leave the roof in a more compromised state than it would have been if you'd have just left it alone after the storm. Now, that's that's I have seen that a lot. And especially when you're dealing with roofs that are north of 15 to 18 years old on a 30-year shingle because making those repairs is going to cause more damage than what's there is, than if you just left it alone. Now that's, and so when we get into that situation and I'm not saying that repairability is always the argument that wins the day, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And in fact, I will tell you that I can't give you an argument that's going to win every time, but this is the idea. This is the point. These are arguments that you're going to have to go make in order to properly adjust this claim. And because once and, and I think a lot of adjusting a claim and a lot of being a public adjuster on the claim simply boils down to this one thing. Now, our job is to prove the loss. And once you have offered what is called a preponderance of evidence towards causation right. of a right. covered peril without the absolute exculpatory evidence pointing to something else, then that loss should be covered. Okay. Appraisal is for the extent of it. Okay. But whereas when we're looking at the adjustment of this loss and you've offered the preponderance of evidence, essentially what you're doing is giving the carrier the opportunity to recognize the right thing to do in this situation. It is not your job to be an attorney. It is not your job to be the judge, jury, and executioner. All you're there to do is to give them the opportunity as a claims professional to do the right thing. And I've said time and time again, Jess, I was an IA. I write the same estimate that I've always written. I've learned a thing or two. I've learned the understanding of where some of these costs come in. And so my estimate, you know, my base estimate has grown a little bit, but that's all based on experience and knowledge and understanding of how things get done. Right. But I write with the same attitude of indemnification that I've always written with. And so when we step in as public adjusters, this is not about sticking it to the carrier. This is about adjusting a loss. And when you look at it like that, it really removes the ego from Mm -hmm. the claim. And I want to tell Mm -hmm. you, part of the meritocracy here at Remedy Claims Consulting, whether we're supplementing, representing, or whether we're appraising, ego has no place in a claim ever. And the moment it becomes competitive, you've lost sight of what's going on. And so I want to encourage you guys 
don't let it become competitive. I know that it can be frustrating. And when you've offered the opportunity to do the right thing and they belligerently do the wrong thing and choose to make that business decision that Jess and I have discussed ad nauseum, (laughs) it gets really, really frustrating when they're only wanting to make business decisions. And it's like, and they basically stare you in the face and go, you know, I know we're wrong, but so sue me. You know, and that's that's just frustrating. That's just absolutely frustrating. And I get it. But again, your job is completed. You have completed your job. And so we've got to move on to the next thing and cut that thing loose and let somebody that can inflict the consequences and prosecute this claim to the full extent of the available coverage. You've got to hand the ball off and let them do that. And so that's my encouragement to you when you find yourself, once you have completed adjusting the claim, you should be done. That's just my thought. And I'm guilty of hanging on to claims way too long and being drug along. And so part of the craft is, is understand when you're kind of being led down a road and they're delaying, denying and defending just for the sake of delaying, denying and defending. And that's, you know, it doesn't have anything to do with the right thing. To That's do. one thing I appreciate so much about what Cal Spoon teaches at his boot camp is, you know, there are already statutory timelines. There are already timelines. Use them. You know, if the carrier is working with you, I'm not saying you still, you know, send it to an attorney on day 31 if the statute's day 30 or 30 days. But, you know, if you, especially over time, you, you know where a claim is going, how fast or how slow, use the statutes, use the statutes. And, and just like you said, disconnect yourself from the emotion, disconnect yourself from the ego. Sometimes it's not ego. Sometimes it's just emotion. Like these people are suffering and you're being an asshole. Yeah. And <laughs> that's, that was mine. Right. It's, it's not that I have an ego, but I do tend to empathize a lot with hurricane victims because that's, that's been my biggest, sure. you know, I think victim is a good word. I think victim is the absolute word that we're looking at here. Um, I think that that's the point. And because I have held, I have dealt with victims of insurance losses and the carrier treats it, you know, they tend to cloak the loss in their own humanity. Like when they look at the items that are owned and it's like, I can't believe anybody would spend that much money on it. So we're not going to cover it. It's sort of like, this doesn't have anything to do with you. And I'm telling you, I have had very uh, knockdown dragouts with carriers, multiple. Con- and by knockdown dragout, understand I'm not screaming at them on the phone or standing on anybody's desk here. I am talking, reiterating my point over multiple conversations over and over and over again until they're frustrated enough that they want to get rid of me and actually volunteer their supervisor's name and information. And, and, and so there is a level of insistence sometimes when you're on the phone with some of these carriers where you begin to tell them, it's like, you're going to have to do better. You know, I told an adjuster one time, I said, I really, I mean, this must be really tough for you, for them to have put you into a situation and in a claim that you have no idea what's going on and you've not been trained for. I'd be pretty angry too, you know? So, um, the idea here is, and I don't want to just monopolize everything. The idea here is, is to make sure that if this claim needs to be adjusted, that's when you're going to want to represent it is because when the adjustment is incomplete or, or erroneous, <laughs> not even been attempted yeah. or that's, you know yeah. what I mean? That's, not even been attempted for so, months. No not even really, there's been no real attempt at the adjustment of the claim. Um, I'm actually working a claim right now where they basically said the wood floor was in, you know, the wood floor is buckling up. And so um, they're claiming water damage, the the homeowners claiming water damage and the floors buckling up. And the adjuster came out and said it was due to improper installation. And you've got full slats that are buckling up on top of each other. You know what I mean? I'm talking like by three or four inches. And it's like, look, I've seen improper installation. And they actually had the carrier actually called out a leak detection company. They actually called out a leak detection company. And the company said, yeah, there's a hole in the side and it's leaking down the wall and calling, causing damage to the floor. Like their own experts said that. And they still stuck with their adjuster basically stating you know what I mean? And and you want to talk about a material misrepresentation of the That's loss. Right. There you go. That's it's, it. It's only 
improperly installed where the water was. Yeah, right. <laughs> Interestingly enough, the improper installation had to do with you didn't let it acclimate properly. You know what I'm saying? It's that kind of thing. You didn't let it acclimate properly and the humidity in the room, you know, and it's like, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? It's sudden terrible. And accidental is well, guys, called sudden and accidental for a reason. Right. And and it's it's always just it's always a struggle. And guys, look, I get it. Be but don't be discouraged and understand where your responsibility truly ends as an adjuster. You know what I mean? And and and, and don't take it personally and certainly don't take it as a failure. Guys, we're going to start talking about appraisal in the final round of this episode. Um, there's some key points that I really want to bring out in this one. Round three starts right after this. When choosing someone to help with your online marketing, make sure you go with someone that has years of experience. Our good friend Sally at Thrive has over 20 years of digital marketing experience. She can build you a beautiful 15-page sleek, interactive website, post on your social media platforms multiple times a week. She can do a video, an amazing CRM to manage and uh, maintain and nurture your clients, text, email marketing, review generation, a business listing on 60 plus search engines, including free voice networks, appointment scheduling, estimates, invoices, payment processing, and more. She will also create for you on uh, on Google, a Facebook page, in Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you need these for your businesses, she'll, she'll help you create those pages on all of those sites. You already have these pages. She'll optimize them for you as well. Call or message Sally today. If you want to get started, you can reach her at 214-789-1651. Again, her name is Sally Brigance. Her number is 214-789-1651. And uh, you'll also get a landing page the day you sign up. When you send her a referral that signs up with her, she'll credit your billing account. Logos are also available. Um, and she also offers a lead generation service in SEO, search engine optimization, where she can uh, guarantee you to appear on the first page of Google or your money back. It is spelled T-H-R-Y-B. And you can find my good friend Sally Brigance, and that's spelled S-A-L-L-I-E, Brigance, B-R-I-G-A-N-C-E. And she can be reached once again at 214 789 one six five one round three appraisal now if you want a detailed discussion about appraisal go to episode 23 of the rumble and listen to that jess and i unpack all things appraisal in that episode what we're wanting to do is learn how to triage and understand when a when a claim is ripe for appraisal. Okay? And one of the things that I have learned is we don't we don't want to weaponize appraisal. Do you know what I'm saying? And and I see a lot of that done. I see a whole lot of people weaponizing appraisal. So we don't want that done. I have had there are situations where like Jess was explaining the roof, I think it was in round two where you were talking about wind blown damage and all this kind of stuff. And they're saying there's no damage and you may need a public adjuster to get that one shingle into coverage. And then once that one shingle is into coverage, then we can move it to appraisal. Now I, I and what I was going to say in the previous round is that if you're manipulating these things, I think the shingles are involved. If I have to touch a shingle, then the shingles are involved. If, if I am having to do anything with those shingles at whatsoever, and I'm talking like, you know, move them so I can pull a nail, those shingles are affected by the manipulation of them and thereby should be in the appraisal. So that's, that's one of the things that I think, but I see a lot of carriers often they'll replace, you know, turtle vents and rain caps and these kinds of things and and trying to leave and that's and i believe it's on purpose what do you think do. jess is that something that you 100 believe it's on purpose 100%, yep. especially when we're talking especially like around the dallas fort worth area um i think was it waco that also got hit too this year pretty good especially i mean dallas god i pulled a hail report for one and the hail hit this place this house four times this year Four times. All four was over an inch. Um, 
one was two inch and the other was three and all the rest were like one, 1.5, something like that. Four t- I believe that the carrier, it, I, I have no real evidence, but just thinking through this, I believe a lot of the carrier rejections, especially towards the end of the year, it's they've 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 said how much they're going to pay for some roofs. It got all sucked up by you know a, a storm in the you know first few months following the storm. Towards the end of the year, everybody that's coming out and saying you know they need a public adjuster, they're just they're just saying no, we're just paid for soft metals. That way they can say I I gave them something. I gave them something. They had some damage up there. I gave them something. You can't say that I'm I'm a big you know big bad wolf or I'm evil. Well. But you're not addressing the fact that this still got beat up with hail four times this year. Like, I, I get it. You're, One of you're, my favorite is, well, it only had an inch hail, and that's not enough to damage the shingle. But the other thing I, I think is, they're, I wonder if they're thinking to themselves, look, this is just the new norm for the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They're just going to get hit with multiple hailstorms every year. So what's the point in paying for one this year? They're going to get hit again next year. So we're just going to say no to everybody and see who just keeps pushing back and and everybody they're eventually going to go away if we push hard enough or the onesie twosies that go to legal. So what we've 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 held on to our reserves and, and we've we've also reinvested a lot of money. We've made a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't know. I don't know. But I. I try to think outside of just. I could only I could only assume that yeah. Jess. I could only assume that because if we've got a if we've got a strategy, you can damn sure bet they've got one too. And there's a lot of high paid individuals sitting in rooms with long tables and on making decisions on how they're going to process some of these claims. Right. And I can tell you that just about any roof north of 18 years old that's got full coverage on it is never going to be recognized as damaged. They're always going to say wear and tear is part of it. That's what they're always going to say. They're always going to say that. And I would encourage you. um, The reason that these things have to be in coverage and what I have seen some other carriers do. um, I have seen this where they approve 11 shingles. The appraisers meet due to a repairability issue. The appraisers issue an award for a full roof replacement. And then said carrier goes all of those shingles. Other than the 12 shingles that you saw, the other shingles are not in coverage. And so you can't appraise these things that are in coverage and the roofing. And so I've adjusted my appraisal demands just to be clear that if you're entering the appraisal process with us, we are we are looking at the roof system at large. And that is one of the things that I have done. And I just want to tell people this when you've got a turtle vent, when you've got a turtle vent. And they're replacing the soft metals and the chimney this and the flashing that and the turtle and the, you know, these sorts of things. I would send in an appraisal demand. If you want to, you can send in an appraisal demand for the roofing system at large. The entire system has been compromised and we want to look at the entire system um, from a repairability standpoint, from an access standpoint. We believe that it's going to be. Uh, should be considered. And and when you put that in writing and they agree to appraisal, then vacating that award becomes very difficult. Right. Very, very difficult. So um, I, I just want to throw this one thing out here about appraisal too, Jess, and I'm going to let you kind of talk about it as well. I, 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 also, I also find appraisal very, very risky. Agreed. You know what yeah. I mean? Do you do you find it do you find it risky? I I just find I'm really kind of I'm very careful about the appraisals that I go into, you know, um, because in the state of Texas and not all states are like this. But and and let me know about Louisiana, because I know you do a lot of work in Louisiana. Is appraisal binding in Louisiana? Because it certainly is in Texas. No, I, um, I'm. I don't believe it is. I don't believe anything has changed to make it binding either. Um, and the reason I, I I answer that with hesitation is I haven't done any appraisals in Louisiana. I've done when, when I've done appraisals oh, okay. it's been in Texas. Uh, I just did I gotcha. a lot of hurricane claims as a PA in Louisiana. Um, but no, I gotcha. do not. I do not know. I do not know. That's I don't, the right I don't know. You would have to. So one of the things you want to check in your appraisal laws, and you may be able to talk with an attorney yes. about it, 
um, is whether or not the appraisal is binding. Because if the appraisal is binding, that's it. The well's dried up. There ain't no going back. There ain't there there isn't oh we realized that you know the 30 year shingles are now 40 year shingles nope sorry that's not the way this is going to go um the appraisal the appraisal is absolutely binding and so there's no going back to the well and if you don't put together a good report and win that umpire conversation you're sunk you know and so i'm very careful i i, I want to be really confident when going into an appraisal you know i want to be pretty confident about what i think you know, I always set the expectations of my client. If I'm choosing to take something to appraisal, it's like, look, there's no guarantees here. And I need you to understand that. Yeah, There's no guarantees on what, what comes out here. And I let them know the risk going into it. Um, and that's why we want to be pretty sure about appraisal, you know? And so usually when I'm going into appraisal is we're not looking at the entire claim. And what I mean by that is the, you know, what our entire claim of damage is. So I, you know, I'm going to want to get something into coverage. And if I can't get anything into coverage and like, let's take, talk about a roof. Often what I will do is just kick it to an attorney at that point in time, because, and let the attorney deal with the fact, because if it comes back and the appraisal is lost, there is still some things that that, that attorney can challenge sure. such as, their breach of contract in general when they're when they were looking at the preponderance of evidence that was submitted which would be a, again a material misrepresentation of coverage you know what mm -hmm. i'm saying and forcing them into an appraisal process and i've seen carriers invoke appraisal and alarm bells need to go off when a carrier is invoking appraisal i'm i'm just going to say right. alarm bells and it happens it happens a lot i have had carriers invoke appraisal on me and alarm bells go off in my head because they're trying to hide something yep. that is that that is their sneaky little way to basically get what's called an executed release on a claim. Yep. And, and that is, and, and so, so beware on appraisal. Um, understanding when it's right for appraisal is when they basically opened up coverage for the thing that you're wanting, um, that you're wanting covered that they won't, that they won't cover. I'm going to give you a really good example on our favorite Jess interior water loss. You ever had a situation where you have lower cabinets that are damaged and upper cabinets that are not damaged? Oh, yeah. And we, and in my opinion, cabinets are bought as a set and they like to estimate them as individual. How about that? I mean, those are things that I often appraise. What are some of the interior things that you get into uh, on appraisal? Um, like I said, I don't, I don't, most of my appraisals have been roofs. I really don't see too many water loss oh, appraisals. Really? Um, because then the question, you know, things like. Because of that standard that yes, exists on what should be exactly. replaced and how and it gets so replaced. I, yeah, yeah, I always it's, take it's those. It's not as common. I yep. always take those as PA claims because those are the ones where if there's going to be any kind of, I don't, I don't want to say easy, bad faith. There's no such thing as easy, bad faith, but you know, that, that requires a different level of competency that requires some additional schooling and education certification. So, so the fact that they send out adjusters that don't have any of that and they're making, you know, they're, they're classifying water as clean water when it comes out of the HVAC through the insulation into the bathroom, onto the bathroom floor, you know, that's clean water. Okay. I would really love to see you go ahead and pick up a cup of that and drink it. You know, here's my S 500 manual. I, I'm pointing to it and here's my certification. Can I see yours? Oh, I don't have one. Well, then we're not we're not coming to the table as equally qualified individuals. You need somebody that's qualified to come out here, you know. And agreed. You know, absolutely, one hundred percent. Because I'm not, yep, I'm not spitting what you know. I think this water is classified. No, it's in the manual. I have it. I read it. I'm certified in it. it it's a governing document for the industry. You you need to use it too. Here it is. I'm not making it up. It's word for word right here. And it, in the back, it actually has a material chart where if you go down to drywall and it says category one, what to do with that drywall, category two, what to do with that drywall, category three. I cannot believe some days we're still fighting as PAs that when water has set, you know, for a week because they're, you know, let's say like Snowmageddon, for example, it was hard to get a water mitigation company out to homes because there weren't enough to go around. Like there were pipe bursts everywhere. I know Three weeks, houses set wet for three weeks, and they were coming in and classifying them as class one yep. water, class one or, category or, one water. Or at the worst, maybe you'd see a class two. It's like, no, lit, it's right here. Here's the definition. 
Are you certified? No. Well, then you can't, you can't, so to speak, trump me on this because I am using the language right here. And like you said, it's a minimum standard, by the way. But I can't believe it's that we still, minimum standard, I right. still can't believe that even when water sat for three weeks or whatever before the water mix team could get out and, and do the demo and the mediation and all that good stuff. They still that's fight. an appraisable thing. I think that's the point is that's an appraisable right. thing is the category of water. And, yeah, absolutely. And they would argue the two foot flood cuts not warranted. Just remove the baseboards. You are out of your mind. Everything is two foot above the flood line. Everything that has been a standard forever is two foot. Still above fight. The flood they line. still fight two foot flood cuts not warranted. Just remove baseboards. Man, I so you is know, that, and and I that, it should be it, it should right. be appraisable because it's part of the water loss. It's just an improper sure. yeah. I mean, repair if, is not correct. If you're if you're suggesting that drying holes be drilled or remove the baseboards to address the drywall because they're addressing a, a, a comp, they're addressing a repair to the drywall, right? Because the repair, cause it's wet and you're trying to change the condition or the function of the drywall. I have had carriers tell me that wet drywall after it dries gets stronger. It does. Actually the IICRC will tell you the same thing, but they said the problem is when drywall gets wet, even though it's harder, it still has a reduction in fire safety uh, ratings. Your fire safety. The point is, is so that I'm not using drywall for structural integrity. Right. I don't care how hard it right. gets. That's not the point in the function of drywall. But yeah, they said the they said strength it. of drywall is is not the point. You know what I mean? And so, and that was the one thing that I told the adjuster. Never mind what the S500 says. I said it's not a structural component. Whether or not it's stronger doesn't have anything to do with anything. And, the fact and, that it's and compromised and could potentially have microbial growth in it is one. And second, it does alter your fire rating. It, well, yeah. And how many more times can it get wet? So, yeah. Because right now, it could get, I mean, if there is a number of times that drywall can get wet and survive, that, just go with me here. <laughs> if there is a number of times, so pick that number of times, let's say it's Five drywall can get wet five times and it can be and it can be done again in an insurance claim. Now I have drywall that can only get wet four times. And before the loss, I had drywall that could get wet five times. So I have suffered a loss that you're not addressing. So if in fact it does get stronger, though, I think that that is an immaterial point because it's not a structural component. You know, so the strength is not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is is its ability to continue to function in the role in which it was designed. That is absolutely appraisable. Final thoughts, Jess? Well, and I think part of the whole argument on it's stronger is I believe back in the day, a lot of PAs would argue that for the baseboards to adhere back onto, you know, for the new baseboards to go, you know, be adhered to or fastened to the drywall. If the drywall was wet, then in their mind, the drywall is now compromised. It's not, it's not in its original state. And well, now the carriers are coming back and they're like, yo, but it's actually stronger. Well, okay. (laughs) So I think, I think that was probably where that whole argument stemmed from is, well, I got to put these brand new baseboards onto this drywall that was compromised. And it's not strong enough to take the new baseboards. And the carrier came back and said, actually we found out, it is stronger. So, but still, it's a moot point. It was compromised. There's potential microbial growth growing back there and it messes with the fire rating. So, there's still. Well, and so, and all of that matters. That is the point of drywall. That is the point of drywall. And it's like if drywall, if the importance of drywall were for it to be stronger, they would wet that shit before it left <laughs> exactly. the factory. Give me a break. Come on. Do you know what I mean? Like that is, that is the most ridiculous thing. I I mean, I'll do an hour and a half of eye rolls and hand waves on that one. It's like, Oh, please. And it's, it's sort of like, you know, I remember back in the day, this was about seven years ago. I was involved in an appraisal on, um, and it happened again on, you know, after the snowmageddon, the, 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 the freeze of 2021 here in Texas, where there was, there was, uh, the assertion from the carrier that 
they only paid for three days of drying because everything only takes three days. Yep. And actually that, that, I don't mean to jump the gun before it's actually released. You're going to steal my thunder is what you're going to do. Go ahead. It's all right. There was a subcommittee on the S 500 rewrite. And that is exactly what they addressed. The fact that it is a myth that there is a three day drying time for every project. Would anybody like to know where that came from? Absolutely. I would like to know where that came from. Okay. So back to fun facts with with the mouth. So here we go. That came from Paul Davis when they were trying to gather carrier support and get the business from the carriers on a direct assignment. Told the carrier that they would dry anything in three days or less. And if it took longer they wouldn't charge for it. So the most that they were ever going to charge was for three days. And so over time, adjusters looked at it and in the vicious game of telephone, Paul Davis doesn't charge us for anything more than three days. We shouldn't be charged for anything more than three days. We're not paying for anything more than three days. It only takes three days to dry a structure. And it and it and it came out of a marketing ploy from Paul Davis. And that is exactly where all of that idea that it can be dried in three days. And the the game of telephone that I heard was on this side is that if it can't be dried in three days, then it shouldn't be attempted to be dried and we should cut it out. And so after three days, we should pull that up and cut it out. And that was that was the information that I got, which is ridiculous. That is even that is a ridiculous thing. And so when when it comes down to what we can appraise and what we can appraise, one of the things that you can look at is the time that it takes to dry because you'll have a carrier go, it shouldn't take longer than three days. Well, when did you show up with your moisture right. meter, Mr. Yep, we'll Adjuster? See your dry logs. Exactly. Yeah, where logs. are your dry logs? You nuts? have to use dry logs you know, <laughs> to show. Can you progress. please point me to a chart in the S five hundred on 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 moisture ratings you don't have on how long it takes to dry a wall on moisture ratings you don't know what they yep. are? You have no idea what the saturation is on it, and you're telling me that it's gonna only take three days. Well, you sat in the wrong classroom, Bucko. And I'm gonna tell you that is something that is most certainly appraisable because it has to do with the amount of time the equipment needs to sit there and do its job and 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 guys remember this when you know they're wrong that's usually when it's ripe for appraisal when you've got the documentation to essentially put in front of an umpire there you go you know what i mean and i just in and a couple of quick pitfalls that i want you to be careful of is if you're if you've been named as an appraiser I am going to encourage you to get the signed contract from the contractor that has drugged this thing into appraisal. And if it says for insurance proceeds plus supplements on it, do not take that to appraisal because an opposing appraiser worth the salt said, it says right here for insurance proceeds, what are you complaining about? contractually there is there is grounds to stand on that has to be made available to the carrier they can vacate the ward on what the on what the contractor and the homeowner have already agreed to this is the price you submitted the price we we you let us pick the amount of money it is we've a pick we've picked it and there you go so you get insurance proceeds plus supplements and if the supplements not been approved we go back to what the proceeds mm-hmm. and you don't have anything to appraise so before you send something into appraisal update that contract send that into the carrier and then you can move into appraisal contingency contracts are dangerous going into appraisal so remember that guys Guys, I hope you've enjoyed the show. That's all we've got for this week. If you've enjoyed it, please take some time to share it with somebody who desperately needs it. If you have questions or comments, always drop those down below. We do our best to get back to get back to you with the answers that we may have. As, as always, it is a pleasure. We will be back next week. And in the meantime, stay ready so you don't have to get ready. And we will see you on the next one. I won't start it, but I damn sure will finish it.